The Havrusa, featuring Rabbi Avraham Kibalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch, directed by Jeff Osias. From Chicago, this is The Havrusa. I'm Rabbi Avraham Kibalevich. And I'm Rabbi Kalman Warch. And sitting behind us here is our director, Mr. Jeff Osias. And tonight we'd like to talk about a subject that might be on people's minds. The school year has started. It is a topic that has to do with education and beyond. And it's really what is the really the proper avenue for information to be given over to our young people. What I'm talking about, of course, is what language. We as Jews know that we are a people of many languages and many rich languages. Specifically, what we want to talk about is the languages that are used in instruction, the languages that are used in the home. Again, this separation needs to be made very clear, that when you talk about languages, um, there are really two aspects. The first aspect is what language should be used in schools to give over the holy teachings of the Torah, and um, what languages should be taught when it comes to grammar and things like that. And then there is a practical aspect of languages, which is um, what should people speak at home? What should be the primary language? Should people, um, whether we should have children who are polylingual, which which we know would enhance um, their both their learning growth and their uh, practical upbringing. There are a number of very advanced schools throughout the world that teach languages at a very young age. And knowing languages helps you with anything, whether it's living your life or going places. But I think the education part of the languages is even more important. We know that some of the greatest scholars of our religion have been um, successful in part because they knew so many languages. We know one of the uh, um, great writers of our um, past generation who um, was able to prove some of his um, understandings and definitions by using Egyptian hieroglyphics and Latin to... Um, well, the figure out different meanings of uh, the well, Bible. The well, well, there's there's two aspects here. There's the sociological aspect because the study of language is really the study of the way human beings have decided to talk about things. What name do they give things? The study of language is an insight into philosophy. We all know that. Uh, but but I think, Kalman, for our listeners, I think what's important to them is. Uh, how much emphasis are we going to actually put on language, especially language of instruction? Uh, Here, let's let's he- start with um, the language which some say is dying and some say is growing, which is interesting that uh, it's worked out like that. But we know this as the language of Yiddish. Yes, Yiddish especially, its growth can be seen in many places, not only in uh, in literature and in college courses uh, that have cropping up throughout the United States, but even in the heartland of America, we have chadarim, we have uh, Yiddish chaders that are cropping up where the teachers are instructing in Yiddish. The parents, the homes that these kids come from are as American as apple pie, and the, both parents probably only speak English, and yet we find that in a desire to have a certain sort of education, a certain sort of mentality, there are chadarim that are developing. And kids are being trained who didn't come from Yiddish homes to speak Yiddish um, and in many ways to sometimes translate from Hebrew into Yiddish and then in their own mind translating back into English. And I, I think what we, what I could probably pose as the first question is... Uh, 
is this a lot of effort for something which is unnecessary? Isn't it a little bit unnecessary to pay teachers and to move here because of their Yiddish skills and because of what they bring to the table in that area and to cause parents a lot of heartache? What are we really after in pushing Yiddish so much? I think I think to answer your question, there are quite a few advantages to um, Yiddish specifically when it comes to learning languages. First of all, um, all our grandparents spoke Yiddish. They all came from Europe, um, even the ones that didn't come post-war, oh, the ones assuming, that came pre-war. Oh, you're assuming our listening base is quite small, Common, when you say all our when I, grandparents. When I say, um, I mean our community or most of the places where these schools that are being built speaking Yiddish mm-hmm. are, most of them come from backgrounds with ancestors who actually spoke Yiddish. And the places where they came from, all the learning in those places had been done in Yiddish. And the advantages that you get from being able to speak Yiddish is we know that in Lithuania, the yeshivas, the shiurim, the classes were given in Yiddish. By the Hasidim, everything was said in Yiddish. And to be able to go back and and gain that learning in the language that they used it is a great advantage. I don't deny that the Torah revolution that took over Lithuania and some of the great Hasidic ideas were developed and thought about in Yiddish. And it's perhaps true that some of those great concepts can only be understood in by Yiddish mind. However... First of all, the language that they wrote these ideas down was a rabbinic Hebrew, sometimes a stilted Hebrew because it wasn't rich enough to capture what they were thinking about in Yiddish. We aren't going back in time and hearing Rav Chaim Salvechik Shiurim or hearing the Avnei Nezer Shiurim. In fact, Rav Chaim Salvechik's grandson, the renowned Rav Yosha Ber Salvechik, Joseph Dov Salvechik, actually said that although his grandfather started the revolution. He I like the way it. you said that, grandfather. Grandfather started it, but I finished it. And he was able to finish it, he thought, not just because of the education in Berlin that he received and the and, and the way he was able to think conceptually, but because he had a language to put those words in. And that language is the one we're speaking right now. The language of English, which is this uh, which I'm is not a strong deny that which can English... act English has a certain richness, um, it being a romantic language, to be able to bring out certain points. But again, you do lose some things. I'm telling you that we know that uh, many of the words that are being assimilated now into the English language, which came from Yiddish, everyone knows these as Nebuch, Meshuggah, Shlemiel, Shlemazel. Come, come, please stop with the compliments. I, I, don't, I think it's too much for one day. Uh, yes, Calvin, right? Those words... Uh, those uh, words are being assimilated because, truthfully, there is no way in English to say those words. There is no equivalent to when someone insults you and you want them to go away to say, Hatzmach, Zatzmach. There is just no way to say that the in comment, English. That's the greatness of English and the greatness of a living language, that it does incorporate those words, and then they become understood and well-known, and, and people write comments But the way about to express them. those ideas with the entire sentence and the way they were actually given has a great advantage. But I, I don't but again, make we another don't, point. But we have no record of the way they were expressed. There, there, are, there, we, are, there are some writings, uh, albeit limited, but they're still there. But another point I want to make is that... Um, most of the Jews who are in America today are here because of what happened in Europe in the mid-40s. And 
a lot of people who came after after the war, after the Holocaust, the Holocaust survivors, are, were Yiddish-speaking, are Yiddish-speaking individuals. And Rabbi Kivlevich, you yourself give a um, shear to these um, senior citizens. Um, yes, Kalman, and, 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 I, and, and I believe you give that you're in Yiddish. Yes, Kalman, and I was actually, you know, raised speaking Yiddish to my grandparents and to my father, who spoke to me primarily in Yiddish. And we, we and, know but, this... I, but again, let me just answer your point. Yes, I know you're saying that we need to have a connection to the Holocaust survivors, the ones that Yiddish was their language, and we need to be able to hear their stories and be able to speak to them and make them feel comfortable. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. We, but we do have enough speakers, those classes. Thank God, will go on. However, I think that that is a very limited and diminishing uh, group. I think that those are efforts are going to be, in a sense, wasted when we have to keep on putting money and time and energy into a language that, although is very significant and did contribute wonderfully to Jewish history, I think its time has basically passed. I would have to disagree. I think that Yiddish has certain advantages that we can get from English. But I do want to say one thing. The fact is that Jews have survived for 2,000 years because they've been able to stay strong on their own. And we know the Medrash says that the reason why the Jews were able to survive assimilation when they were way back in Egypt was because they kept three things. And that was they kept Jewish names, they kept Jewish clothing, meaning they had a different form of dress, and they had a Jewish language. First of all, and this first of language all, there are, was their yeah. grandfather's language. Yeah. And I'm sure there were people then who were saying, why do we need our grandfather's language? Why can't we all speak Egyptian? I'm not exactly – I'm not. Ex- there is a somewhat of a debate as to if, did they speak uh, the biblical Lashon HaKodesh. I don't know uh, whether the they tribe. actually spoke the biblical, but they did not speak the Egyptian that the Egyptians spoke. They had their own language. There was so no you're, denying that. So you're saying that we should speak Yiddish and, and encourage Yiddish in order to stem – the tide of assimilation and to keep really... us to keep us from, in other words, right? right. That's basically right. what you're saying. That strengthens minorities when they have these things in common, where they they're all a certain language speaker. Well, well common, you're spouting very historical tonight, but let me make you aware of the Bundists, the Apikorsim, the whole huge uh, literature that's now, of course, gathering dust on shelves of people who spoke Yiddish exclusively, and these were people that didn't have the religion at all. I think what you're saying, Kalman, is is that people, and that's, I think, the reason why these Chadarm are becoming popular, they want to embrace the Hasidic lifestyle. One element of the Hasidic lifestyle is that language. I mean, all these Hasidim in metropolitan New York, they strive on this uh, Yiddish-speaking community. Yes, but we also know that there are groups in Eretz Yisrael that are Hasidish and are very from, and their Yiddish is nominal. They speak Yiddish because they must, but really the language of their discourses are is in Hebrew. You can have the from lifestyle. One second, you can have the from lifestyle and absorb it and live it, but you don't necessarily need to invest all the effort in the speaking I'm of Yiddish. I'm telling you that those um, communities specifically have other ways of strengthening their community and keeping people um, together and strong. And it could include some of those other things like having separate clothing and um, having your name. And, and they could have other things that keep them together. But for us, the basic idea that we've been keeping is what we know the Medrash tells us, that we need to speak our own language. Sure. And, and I'm not sure if the Medrash 
like I said, the Medrash could mean a Jewish way of talking. We all know there's a yeshivish English that people speak, and there's a certain method that Jews speak. I'm not sure if the Medrash means a specific language that has to be different than the la- totally different from the language of the, well, the local populace. Well, the word of the Medrash is lashon, which means tongue, and tongue is usually when referred to a language. And when it comes to the uh, teachings of the Listen, Midrash. are there any great texts that will be lost to us because we have such a small amount of people speaking there Yiddish? There are some, a few. I'm sure you could name a few of your own great um, writings that have been done in Yiddish. I, I, Maybe that have been translated today, but of course the translation will never give. I, I agree. And I don't, I'm not saying we should stamp out Yiddish. I just, I believe that the effort that's being placed in it is effort that could be spent perhaps better in understanding the what the Pusik means, what the verse in the Torah means. I think that we, because we place so much emphasis and there's an undue stress that's caused by instructing in this language, I think that sometimes we have children that don't speak any language and they end up being very weak, not only in uh, their secular areas, because they've had to master uh, Yiddish also, but they don't even know how to explain a Pusik and Chumash properly. Yeah, I just want to make one more point that and the fact is that the great yeshivas like Brisk and Mir in Eretz Yisrael, which um, a lot of people know are the main channels for the um, giving over of the learning from those great minds of the um, Brisk away and um, others, they speak Yiddish and they give their classes in Yiddish because that's the way they heard it. And we, we, we live and we survive because of the giving over of word to word. We know the, entire, the oral Torah had not been written down at the beginning because it was mouth to mouth. And I think that's the way that we should continue because that's how we have our language. Well, you know, it's, again, as, as great and holy as the language of Yiddish is, and I don't deny it, there's a Tshuva Sosam Sofer that speaks about the Kedusha contained in Yiddish. But the Ramban tells us, Nachmanides tells us, that... The language of instruction and learning, the language of Torah, should be Loshon HaKodesh, the holy tongue. Whereas the other language, this should be the language of the people. And this is the way the Ramban speaks about Aramaic. Maybe, I think, Kalman, what we should do is, after these messages, I think we should go weiter in exploring Loshon HaKodesh. You're listening to The Chavrusa with Rabbi Avram Kivalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch on the Torah Radio Network Internet Archive at www.torahradio.net. The Chavrusa can be heard every Monday evening on the Torah Radio Network Daily Show from 8 to 9 p.m. Central on AM 1080 WNWI Oaklawn, Chicago, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern on AM 680-690 WNZK Dearborn Heights, Detroit. Or you can hear it live at www.torahradio.net. And now we return to the Chavrusa on the Torah Radio Network Internet Archive at www.torahradio.net. We're back. We're talking about um, the languages that uh, should be put on preference to be used in schools and in the home. And a language that we need to discuss, which is, of course, the most important language in our religion, is Lashna Kodesh, the Holy Tongue. Um, which some people would say is Hebrew. But I, th- I think we've, before we start, I would just like to make the point that my platform in this discussion will be that Lashna Kurdish is not Hebrew. Well, you're not going to get a big argument from me there. Obviously, Lashna Kurdish is the language that is contained in 
the Tanakh. It's the language that's contained in Holy Script. Hebrew is a language that was developed from principles contained in the Holy Script and and was used to apply them to a modern life. I would call it a dialect. Would you agree with that? Well, again, you need to be... It's a guess. The same thing happened, Kalman, really, uh, in a lesser way in the golden era of Spain when Hebrew or Hebrew poetry flowered and these great minds turned to the Torah and said, hmm, how can I spin these words a little bit differently? What sort of new way can I have of saying this, which is not found anywhere in the Torah, but is clearly based on Torah. But once that language had to do more than just give over a poetic expression, but it actually tell people how to get to certain places, how to walk down the street, and how to uh, roll up a window, then what we have then is the phenomenon of Ivrit. So I think that, again, going back to what we've been saying before, that there are two aspects to all languages. There's the practical application and the educational application. Starting with the educational application, I think in a certain way... um, the language of Lush and Kurdish, which is the language that we would prefer to have been used, is actually ruined in a way by Hebrew, like we were saying before, that in a way um, you're learning the wrong language. And when it comes to um, having a class where you speak Hebrew, you would actually teach the kid to be not fluent in the language of Lush and Kurdish. As you know, there is an approach that is pushed very hard by in many schools, and that's called Ivrit Bivrit, where the instruction is in Hebrew. The teacher only speaks pure Hebrew. And we know psychologically that's the best way to teach it because if you go to a country where you there are people who speak your language, you're going to have a harder time learning the foreign language than if there is no one who speaks your language, and you find a way to learn that language. So if you're in a classroom where you can't use any other language, you're going to learn that language. But the question is, though, what's being taught is really Ivrit. It's not being taught, I think that's what you're trying to say, is that what's not necessarily being taught is the Tanakh, is the Mishnah, and the kids are struggling very mightily to understand the Ivrit. And and we run into the problem that you were saying before. Instead of learning another language which would um, um, join the child's knowledge of English would be the language of Hebrew. He's actually learning three languages, which is Lashon Kaddish and Hebrew, because they're just too different. Well, again, it's going to be difficult to tell the child or to tell the teacher that, well, when we study the language of the Bible itself, there we'll study Lashon Kodesh. But when we want to teach modern Hebrew, and again, you do agree, Kalman, that it's probably important for kids throughout America, to know modern Hebrew, don't you? More for the practical application, which would be Israel. I think that it's important for every Jew to be able to get along in the most suitable way when he goes to Israel, because I I think it's everyone's obligation to, if you can't live, at least visit there when you can. So in order to make it potentially possible for Jewish children to move to Israel, we need to expose them to enough Hebrew that they don't feel like foreigners in their own country. 
But I think it's also important that they should know Hebrew to understand Eretz Yisrael, even if you're not going to live there, to be able to read the papers, to be able to understand articles, scholarly articles, or popular articles that are written in Hebrew. And that's only going to happen if there's an immersion, ulpan sort of experience. Uh, And that can only be done by teaching in Ivrit. But again, if we do that, we're going to lose time and effort from our education where we could be teaching them Torah because the fact is that if we would give a class in Lashon Kodesh, that would be a class in Torah. We know the Gras spoke about the diktuk of Lashon Kodesh, how important it is, and it's actually a form of Torah while learning Hebrew is not. But what would the explaining words be done? Would they be done in English, in Yiddish, like you were saying before, or would they be done in Ivris? Well, you could have a class where if a child needs something, he needs to ask that question in Lashon Kodesh. And the, when there is something is pointed to, most of the class, most of the lecture is given in Lashon Kodesh. It's all about how to understand the words of Lashon Kodesh. I've... Instead of giving um, the language of Hebrew, which has rules contrary to the language of Lashon Kodesh. I've heard of such schools, but because Ivrit is so immense and so well-known, I think that the kids will feel very self-conscious speaking Ivris in class. And again, I know... When you say Ivris, you mean as opposed to Ivrit with the um, Ashkenazi pronunciation? I think that's what's going to come down to. They won't be able to speak Lashon HaKodesh, or let's call it Biblical Hebrew. That's very stilted, it's grand and poetic, but you can't carry on much of a normal conversation that way. Uh, and therefore, I think what they're going to be doing, Kalman, is speaking the same sort of Ivrit, but taking care to say it with Havara Ashkenazit, with the Ashkenazic pronunciation instead of the Havara Sfardi, which is used in Israel. I think that actually is going to turn the kids into a mockery of, of a student. But Kalman, I think you're right in the sense that perhaps certain schools don't need to devote so much time, the same arguments I used earlier about Yiddish. But I think if there's a school that makes Ahavas Eretz Yisrael, the love of the land of Israel, primary, I think that it's important that the kids get to know Ivrit and get to know it at an early age. What I want to know is, what was the need to develop a new method of language? I understand you need a new language where you need to bring in all the modern concepts and all modern ideas and modern way of speaking that the current languages today have. But they could have used the format of Lashon Kodesh um, to continue this. The way Lashon Kodesh is spoken, the strength of pronouncement the um, um, feminine and masculine parts to Lashon Kurdish, which we know Hebrew is famous for having two languages, one for men and one for women. I think that they were explicitly looking to deny the holy tongue, Lashon Kurdish, from being the language. And even though they built on it, but it, it, to me, it just looks like they were trying to avoid it as much as possible. There are so many rules that Lashon Kurdish has that they could have kept that wouldn't have interfered into this, and they, yet they still changed it. Common, I don't deny that the fathers and architects of modern Hebrew were not necessarily religious men, and might have been men that were anti-religious. But let's look at the facts on the ground. The facts on the ground now are that this country, uh, Israel, is speaking this language. And we, in order to really take part in it, need to be able to speak it too. Whether it's strange that its rules of modern Hebrew go against biblical Hebrew, well, you know what? I don't know how we're going to be able to change that. But I think that if we leave our children in the dust not knowing this language, then they are going to be confused and not be able to take part 
in the dynamic that's going on there. Well, th- that's a great pro, but I think some cons can be pointed out. Um, first of all, if you study a language... Now, we're not just talking about having a half-hour class each day in Hebrew in each school. We want that the parents should be speaking this at home. We want that throughout all the classes, kids should be talking this within each other. Words should be incorporated. You're going to lose some of the English. Uh, And you're, you're talking about how great it would be for them to be able to get along in Israel. But what about having them get along in America? Common, those are decisions... Those are decisions that every parent is going to make. This school stresses that. But I'm that. talking about those Yiddish-speaking communities. The children speak when they count. It's one, two, three. I don't, believe, I don't believe we're going to have a parallel situation of students who can't know that. I think that these type of schools are immersed deeply in American culture and in English language, but they happen to be proficient in Ivrit. Whereas the Chassidish schools or the Yiddish-speaking schools, those schools, I think, as we mentioned before, are so cut off from uh, the culture of the United States that once Yiddish becomes the primary language of instruction in those schools, they lose their connection to normal English speaking, where I don't think that's the case in those other schools. I don't think every school should make it paramount to be studying Ivrit Ivrit, but I think the schools that commit themselves to this sort of philosophy should encourage that in their teachers. And eventually, I think we'll have a, we'll have a society which has a true avasar to throw with an understanding of what's going on. And something else, I, I think there has been a little bit of a discrepancy in what I've been hearing from you tonight. You've been saying before about Yiddish that we need to get rid of Yiddish because we don't speak Yiddish anymore. We speak English, and the way our Torah is being given over now is in English, which, by the way, might not be the greatest language to give Torah over either. But the fact is that I think the, it's going to come. We'll have that as another show. English, I guess, we'll have to wait for another show about the propriety of all translations in English. Speaking of that, I think that would be a great time to plug our website, which is thecharusa.torahradio.net. Please feel free to email us at any time about anything, whether it's a subject or it's um, something you agree or disagree with. We've gotten some of your comments, and we're finding them very interesting, and we're working on making the shows that you want to hear. But I know you're trying to change the subject here, but... (laughs) You're just, you you're just taking before, a long time getting to the you, point. You said before that we need to get rid of Yiddish, but yet when it comes to Hebrew, you're saying, no, we need the Hebrew, and you're going to take away from um, the time that kids will be using to learn. You're going to uh, put that time into teaching the kids Hebrew so that they can tour the country um, with relative ease. Well, I we're talking, still taking away from I wasn't talking Common, first of all, I did not say that this should be standard in every school. But if a school commits itself to this sort of philosophy then they need to invest into making... You weren't giving Yiddish that much respect. Well, again, I believe that Yiddish caters to a small, dwindling populace, whereas Ivrit caters, when it's introduced in school, to a thriving, bustling, living community that's important that our members can take part in. Now, in terms of your basic point, though, that we're sacrificing the Torah, I think, again, let's go back to what you were saying earlier. We all learn in different ways. Some of us learn from rote learning, from memorization of tables. Other of, others of us learn from 
expanding our horizons through reading and through the learning of a new language. Well, I don't even know if, if it means can really get involved in the visual and audio. And, um, all I mean to... is is that even though the kids have a little less Rashi and a little less Tosfos, but they also are getting a sense of language and growth, and something is happening. Something's bubbling in their minds. They're being creative. They're thinking about it, and that's what we want. And f- and maybe you're right. And you, if if you just want to teach them a language, teach them a language that um, um, we need to bring back. Teach them Arabic. We know that um, Could, some of the great writings of Maimonides were written in Arabic, and and people who have retranslated it um, have found things that um, um, really changed some of the ideas okay, that are common. I'm common. That's a good idea, and I agree with it. I believe that in high schools there should be tracks where Arabic and German and other of the languages that great Jewish works were written in well, should be but taught. Gonna, but I'm ta- if we're, we're going to be here, just teaching languages, where's the place to learn Torah? On elementary school level, what we want to do is open the doors. We want to open their minds. We want to give them some sense of grandeur and growth and I'm excitement. sorry. Teaching them to count from 1 to 10 in 48 languages is not going I'm to make talk- a kid... But but reading a short story by Shai Agnon, I think, might be something different. And I think analyzing... I think that's a little bit beyond elementary school to teach kids to read in eight languages. Well, I didn't say eight languages. I was talking about Ivrit. I wasn't talking about eight languages. And it is not beyond elementary school kids, if they're taught properly, to have a work, even here in the United States, to have a good working knowledge of Ivrit and be able to read it and understand it and enjoy it. It's not by forever. sacrificing some of the other classes. I agree. There will definitely be less time of Torah, but you might have a greater mind who, once it's time to come into Torah, is thinking stronger and better and has the advantage of being able to integrate so himself is, into you, Israeli society. You haven't society. told me why for that greater mind you need specifically Hebrew. Again, it seems for the, for the American students in the modern Orthodox schools, this is the language that connects him most strongly to what's important. And that's why it should be this. You're right. In their other schools where they speak French and they speak Spanish, like we talked about in the beginning of the show, those kids will probably test higher and probably the other disciplines too. And this is But stick around, Kalman. The Chavrusa features Rabbi Avram Kivalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch and is directed by Jeff Osias.